You're listening to the James Faith in Jesus Work Series, preached by Pastor Dan Christians at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. James chapter 3. Here in James chapter 3, we find the most in-depth and detailed description of the tongue that we find anywhere else in the whole Bible. The word does say a great deal about the tongue, a great deal about how we speak, how we use our language. But here we have the most information. James summarizes much of what it says elsewhere in scripture and presents it with these pictures, these analogies that make it really easy for us to grasp onto. I know I've, I've preached from James chapter 3 in the past before. And when I did that, the following week, I, I really paid attention to my speaking. I really paid attention to the words I said. Because honestly, if you would have asked me going into to preaching that, I'd be like, yeah, no, I, I don't think like the tongue is my worst characteristic. Like I, I know I have some other areas that I struggle. And I would say like the tongue isn't the worst thing. I wouldn't say I didn't struggle because certainly I do. But, but when I paid attention to my language the following week, like just the, whether I was saying things that were kind, not, I wasn't like going off and like swear, like cursing and all these things. So right? don't get me wrong. But when I just paid attention to whether I was using my language to build people up or to tear them down, when I was, uh, if I was saying things that were kind and, and helpful or things that were really hurtful, I really, I really was convicted. Um, it wasn't just an area that I didn't have to worry about and something that I had kind of covered. It was one that, that I certainly need to work on. And I think the way that James presents it, he presents it in a way that we really can't get around the fact that we all have, we, we all have work to do, right? There isn't anyone that has this, this issue of the tongue, of the way that we speak down pat. We, we don't have it covered. We all need help. And so hopefully we'll find some help today. I do not speak from a position of victory, but from one as a, who is a fellow fighter. And I hope that tonight, as we go through these verses, that you'll um, be convicted as I, I have been and that you'll see that, that there's a place where we can grow. is an area of our lives that we can be better used for the glory of God. I don't know if you know this, but the average person speaks for one-fifth of his or her life. That's an average of 20,000 words a day. If you were to put that on paper, it would be 50 pages in a book. And so you're, you're writing approximately 130 books every year. You can imagine every year of your life having everything that you say recorded, written down, it'd fill about 132 books every single year. So the average person speaks a lot. Now this provides for us an amazing opportunity. It is an opportunity for terrible failure or an opportunity to really do some good. And so what we want to do tonight is we want to focus on this opportunity that God has given us, that we get to speak. We're communicating people. We're doing it all the time. How can we use our communication to further the kingdom of God rather than to tear people down and and not further the kingdom? Um, James chapter 3, we'll begin reading at verse 1. We'll read 1 and 2, but I really want to focus our attention on verses 3 to to 12 tonight. James chapter 3, verse 1 says, My brethren, be not many masters knowing that you shall receive the greater condemnation. What he means there is not all of you should be teachers. The idea of a master there is somebody who teaches. And and I think sometimes we get this idea that if somebody is going to be really, really spiritual, 
they have to get to the point where they can teach Sunday school class, at least. At best, maybe preach it on Sunday. That would just be fantastic. That's not what the Bible teaches at any point, right? If you are called to ministry, praise God that you're called to ministry. If you're not called to ministry, you are as much called to service in God's kingdom as anyone else, right? It's not that the preacher has more ability to glorify God than anybody sitting in the pews. Um, and so what he's saying here is actually there shouldn't be too many teachers. Why? Because teachers will stand under stricter judgment. And this is really important to understand because if you put people up in the pulpit who are really shouldn't be, they're not, they're not gifted and they're not ready, then you put the church at risk of hearing things that aren't true, hearing the Bible preached and, and twisted and, and taken in a way that it's not meant to be. And you actually put the preacher at risk because he will stand before God and he will be judged for what he teaches. And so it's important if you're going to have somebody stand up and teach or preach, that person should be gifted and qualified. Right? And that's, that's what he's getting at here. Verse 2 says, and it kind of explains why this is so important. He says, For in many ways we offend all. If any man offends not in word, the same is a perfect man and able also to bridle the whole body. So basically what he says is that we sin a lot. Right? We sin often. Human beings just, just do this because we're fallen. Right? We're sinful creatures. But he says this, he says, if there's any person that doesn't offend, that doesn't sin with his mouth, that person is perfect. Now, what is he saying there? Why is it so important? Well, he's saying that the the easiest place to sin is with your words. And if you can find a way to control your words, then you can control everything. Because that's, I mean, controlling your words, that's the hardest thing to do. That's what he's saying. You're not going to find a Christian that doesn't sin. You're not going to find somebody who is able to bridle the whole body, and therefore you won't find anybody who doesn't sin with their words. Then in verses 3 to 12, he gives us three three ideas that we need to think about. And verses 3 to 5 have three analogies. Those analogies help us understand the surprising power of the tongue. Verses 6 to 8, we find three comparisons And that will help us understand the the wickedness of the tongue. And then in verses 9 to 12, we find two parallels that help us understand the apparent hypocrisy of the tongue. So, the power of the tongue, the wickedness of the tongue, and the hypocrisy of the tongue. If you're hoping for a feel-good message, (laughs) probably isn't the one. (laughs) But there is some good news at the very end, so just like hold out for that, all right? Verse number three, indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Okay, I want you in your minds to picture the power of a horse, right? Picture just, I mean, a horse running up to you and stopping. In fact, just picture a horse running at you and how terrifying that would be, right? Their muscles just ripple with every step they take. They're massive, massive creatures. Incredible, right? They put any bodybuilder to shame. And you think about this horse, how massive and how powerful they are. And yet he says, we're able to put this tiny little bit in the horse's mouth. And as soon as we do that, they obey us. We we can actually turn them wherever we want to turn them. We can make them go the way we want them to go. And so what he's trying to do here is he's helping us to see that this very little bit, so tiny, 
it's able to control this massive creature, this powerful creature. Verse 4, he said, look at ships. Here's another picture. Look at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by, by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. You have a ship that can be up to 60,000 tons, but the direction is determined by this tiny little rudder at the back of the ship. Verse 5, Even so, the tongue is a little member, but it boasts great things. See how a great forest a little fire kindles. Right? This this is the, the picture. Your tongue, small part of your body, right? Small piece of anatomy. And yet this small thing inside your mouth has so much control over the direction of your life, over who you are, over, over how you live. And then I love this final picture, the picture of a fire, how great a forest a little fire kindles. Canada is home to many forest fires. I actually looked up some of the greatest forest fires we've experienced, and I found that the Great Fire of 1919 in Saskatchewan and Alberta spanned 2.8 million hectares. Hectares. I mean, that's, that is insanely huge. There was another fire, the Matheson Fire in 1916, that killed 244 people and destroyed 49 towns. And then the fire that happened just a couple years ago, started in Fort McMurray area, cost insurance companies an estimated $9 billion. So when we start talking about the, the power of a fire to destroy, it's massive. It's incredible. When it gets started, it's almost impossible to stop. And that's what he's saying. He's saying this little fire, this little piece can start such a, a powerful, um, destructive force. So be very careful. The surprising power of the tongue. Then we find in verses 6, the fundamental wickedness of the tongue. Verse number 6 says, And the tongue is a fire, it is a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. Right? The tongue is a fire. It has the ability to do what a fire does, to destroy, to spread, to consume. It is a world of iniquity. Right? There are so many sins that are associated with the tongue, so many categories, gossip, criticism, slander, contentious words, lying, flattering, boasting, backbiting, cursing, condemning, blaspheming, mocking, jesting, filthiness, perversity, False teaching, deceiving, whining, murmuring, complaining, manipulation, profanity, threats. Even our idle talk is sinful. And there's there's so many things that our tongue can do. Those are just the things that we do with our tongue to hurt people, to destroy. It's so powerful. And it's a world of iniquity. It It pollutes the whole body, right? One member to ruin them all. And it sets on fire the course of nature. Now, this is a a phrase that's difficult to translate. But the idea here is it sets on fire the wheel of life or the circle of life. So we have the the lion who's the king, right? And we've seen the movie. You've seen Lion King. 
And he's saying that this is the this is the fire that it has the ability to destroy the whole circle, the whole cycle of life. It's set on fire by the course of nature, and it's set on fire by hell. Hell is Gehenna. It's the only time in the New Testament used outside of the Gospels, and it refers to eternal torment. So it's set on fire by hell. It is controlled by or directed by this terrible force. Everything in it is worthless, rotten, decayed, unclean, defiled. We need to really understand how bad our tongue is. And when we read this, I don't know if you read that and you think like, oh man, I'm not, I'm not so bad. You know, I'm, I don't do that. My tongue's not like that. How many people do you think through the course of your life you've hurt by words that you've said? I mean, I bet there's been many you don't realize. I bet it's happened many times where somebody walked away from a conversation that you had, and they, they were hurt. You didn't know you did it. How many times have you been in an argument you said stupid things? Right? How many times have you said things that, that you regret or that hurt? And, and often we use our tongue to hurt the people we love the most, right? And we, we might think, oh man, I got it covered. No, what he's trying to say is you don't have it covered, right? It is this tiny thing that has such a destructive force and that we've done so much damage. We do so much damage. Verse number seven says, for every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and of creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is unruly evil, full of deadly poison. I don't know how many of you like to watch the, like the, the nature channel or um, YouTube videos on, on animals. I think often people like to watch animals that are really cute. And I remember seeing a video, and it was of a Chinese circus. And on this circus, they had trained monkeys to ride bicycles. Has anybody seen this video before? So you got, you got like a bunch of monkeys in a circle going around and riding bicycles. And then they have their grand finale. A bear comes out on a bicycle, riding the bicycle behind the monkeys. And the bear just kind of follows the monkeys for a while until one of the monkeys falls off. And then the bear falls on the monkey. And then the bear eats the monkey. <laughs> and it's a really, it's, it's a gruesome scene, right? They had tamed that bear, right? They had controlled that bear. They'd done a whole lot with that bear. But as soon as that bear had that monkey in his hands, his nature took over, right? He was no longer this really tamed bear. And, and what he's saying here is that we can actually tame all of these different animals, but you can't tame the tongue. The nature of the tongue is to be evil. And it's going to say and do evil things. So if, if that's true for nature, and he's saying we can tame nature, better we can tame our tongue, we should be aware. Verse number eight, or verse number nine. Here's the obvious hypocrisy of the tongue. He says, with it, with our tongue, we bless our God and Father, with it, we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God or the image of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessings and cursings. My brethren, these ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt, water, and fresh. And he says that we bless God and yet we curse those who are made in God's image. 
And he says those two things shouldn't be compatible. Right? That those things ought not be so. That's that's not the plan. Um, springs of water are either bitter or they're sweet. Fruit trees bring forth the fruit that the tree is. Is there anybody here that's really good at telling what kind of trees are which? Right? You can just look at tree and be like, yeah, that's that's an oak and that's an ash and that's a pine. Pine's different. So it'd be easier. No. Okay. So do you know do you know how I can tell what kind of trees things are? The leaves. That's not how I tell, but that's good if you can. The fruit. The stuff that like as soon as an acorn falls in my head, I'm like, that's an oak tree, right? <laughs> a walnut falls in my head. That's a walnut tree. Right? You can, you can figure it out then. An apple? I've got that one covered. Right? As soon as you see the fruit, you can see what kind of tree it is. Now, some people are really good and they can tell early. But this is kind of what he's saying. He's saying that, that you can't, you're not going to have an acorn fall on your head from a walnut tree. You're not going to have the fruit of, of one thing come forth if the, and this is what he's doing here. He's moving from the problem is your tongue to the problem is actually something else, a little bit deeper than the tongue. And the tongue is actually the fruit that you can see. Okay? And so here's the hypocrisy of the tongue that we claim to be children of God who want to love God and follow God. And yet what comes out of our mouth is not just the praise of God, which we did tonight and which I'm sure you do throughout the week, but also the cursing of men, the, the, the terrible use of our tongue. As we look at this, I want to, I want to make it practical. I want us to not leave here and just be like, yeah, our tongue's bad. Let's go home and, and enjoy life. I want us to think about, okay, what are we supposed to do with this? What's the, what's the message? What's the takeaway? Because the book of James is an awesome book because it's just, it's so incredibly practical, right? You don't read that passage and be like, I'm not really sure what he's saying. You read it and go like, he's saying the tongue is really bad. It's, it's a big problem. It's powerful. It's clear. So the bad news is that the tongue is powerful and it is evil. Blaise Pascal once said that I maintain that if everyone knew what others said about him, there would not be four friends in the world. You think about that. If, if everyone knew what everyone else said about them, you couldn't have four friends in the world. That's a sad statement. It is powerful like a small bit in the mouth of a horse. It can turn a massive horse whichever way it pleases. It is powerful as a rudder is in the back of a massive ship. It is powerful like a fire is that can set an entire forest ablaze. There's a story about a woman who went to a monk for advice. And this woman was feeling very, her conscience was was pricked. She felt terrible because she had done something. What she had done is she had told a story about her friend and later found out that that story that painted her friend in a kind of a negative light wasn't true. And so now she's going to the monk and asking for advice. Monk, I've told this story. I've told a bunch of people about this, but it's not true. And so I've made my friend look bad. What do I do? And the monk said, what I want you to do is I want you to take a chicken feather. In fact, take a number of chicken feathers. And I want you to go and I want you to take one feather and place it on the doorstep of every house in our village. So the woman was so confused, but she respected the monk. And so she said, okay, no idea what you're, talking, what you're asking for. I'll, I'll do it. So she went and she put the feathers out everywhere. Okay? And later on, she went back to the monk. So I did what you said. I still feel really bad though. The monk said, okay, it's fine. Now go 
back and just pick up all of those feathers and put them back in the bushel and bring them back to me. And the woman said, well, that's impossible. They've blown away. I mean, I've seen them. They're blowing all over town. There's no way I'm ever going to collect all those feathers again. And so the monk said, it's the exact same as your words. You speak something, you say something negative about somebody else, and all of a sudden it's out there, right? And everybody knows it, and everybody hears it. And there's no way of getting it back. And so I'm sorry if your conscience hurts. That's, that's too bad. But that's not something that you can fix. And our, the power of our tongue to destroy, it's like that. Now, I love this story for a couple reasons. And the first one is because I think it illustrates the power of the tongue. How, you know, you say something that seems so small, but it spreads so easily. I also love it because I think it's funny that the, the monk is so mean. <laughs> right? I mean, really, this woman's come to you and she feels really bad. And then you just give them a story. It's like, uh, there's no hope. Right? <laughs> there is. We're getting to that. Not only is the tongue surprisingly powerful, but it is fundamentally evil. It is a fire, a world of iniquity. It defies, defiles the whole body. It sets on fire the circle of life. It is set on fire by hell. It is an unruly evil, and it's full of deadly poison. This is just in one text. This is what your tongue is. Job calls it a scourge or a whip. Daniel says it's a sharp sword. Jeremiah says it's an arrow that you shoot. And Paul calls it poisonous on a number of occasions. And so the tongue is really bad. Second part of the bad news is that the tongue cannot be tamed. We saw that. Made that clear. Tongue is insanely powerful and you're not going to fix it. And you're not going to be able to leave tonight and be like, you know what? I just realized for the first time that I should work on my tongue. I'm going to go make that right. For the rest of my life, I'm going to use my tongue only to build up. You can't do it. It doesn't matter how much you want to. It doesn't matter how motivated you are. You don't have the self-will to accomplish that. You just can't do it. That's what he's saying. It cannot be tamed. Then the third part of the bad news is that we are all guilty of hypocrisy with our tongues. We are guilty of blessing God and then cursing those made in God's image. Isn't it funny how easy it is to glorify God, to think about this God that we know, what we know of him is revealed to us in scripture. And we certainly see the beauty of creation, but we can, we can go to a service and we can praise him and glorify him. Even when we go through hard times, we can say, Lord, I, I know you're in control and you're good. But somebody cuts in front of you at, you know, Tim Hortons and that person needs to be, they need, uh, they need to be taken apart, Right. They need a lesson taught to them. So easy to bless this God that's kind of, kind of there and, and we, we have up and elevated, but it's so hard for us to say, well, God made this person. God loves this person, right? I mean, why do we separate it? Why are we so good at separating people from God? Okay, God loves people. He loves mankind. He doesn't love you only, and yet we are so like willing to accept the love of God, but not want others to have it. We're actually like Jonah in a lot of ways, right? He's fine for God to show him mercy and God to show Israel, but he doesn't want the Ninevites to have it. And we're like that sometimes. And so what he's saying is, understand that when you're, when you're cursing someone made in the image of God, it's not okay with God. It's not like, like that's separated from what you do here. <laughs> 
It is surprisingly powerful. It is fundamentally evil. And it is impossible for us to tame. We are all guilty. So, where do we go from here? Well, I think there is good news. And the good news, it's kind of like veiled in this text, but it is there. And it's there in the phrase where he says, these things ought not be so. Right? And what he's saying there is, there is another way. Like, there is another option. It doesn't have to be that way, and it shouldn't be that way. That's not the way this was designed to be. So how do you go from, this is who we naturally are, this is what we naturally do, to, these things ought not be so for you. It shouldn't be like this anymore for you. And that's where we get into the gospel, right? It's the gospel that has the ability to transform the person who is made this way, who lives this way, who's always this way, into a brand new creature. Here he speaks a little bit like the way Jesus, his brother, spoke. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 33, he says, either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by his fruit. He says there is actually a way to go past just the fruit, past the trying to staple on better fruit, past going home with these good motivations and this will for ourselves. There's a way to actually change the tree. And that's what Jesus said. We needed to have a good tree, not a bad tree. In Luke 6, verse 45, he says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth that which is good. But an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth that which is evil. For out of the abundance of his heart... The mouth speaks. So what's the answer? You can't tame the tongue. The tongue is a stream that flows from the heart. So the heart must be changed. We need a new heart. And if you are a believer in Christ tonight, if you've asked Jesus to be your Savior, He's given you a new heart. Now it doesn't mean that the struggle goes away. It doesn't mean that the flesh is completely gone. But it means that now you have freedom from the penalty of sin, the the ultimate penalty of sin, and you have freedom from the power of sin in your life. Now, here's the thing. When a slave is set free, they don't know how to act like a freeman, right? At at first. I mean, it's just, it's it's this brand new thing they've never experienced. And sometimes it actually feels more safe to stay where you're at, be who you have always been. Right, And especially as believers, we still have the flesh inside of us and it's still calling us certain direction. It, we're so used to just listening to our flesh. But what he's saying here is that you have your new creature, new heart, okay? new power that wasn't there before. The ability to overcome sin that you couldn't overcome by yourself. So there is hope. The heart must be changed. I love how David says it in um, Psalm chapter 51, verse 10. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, renew a right spirit within me. Okay, so that's his prayer. God, I want, I need a new heart. And that's a prayer that any of us can pray. And then in verse 13, he says, then will I teach transgressors thy ways. So Lord, give me a new heart. And once I've got the new heart, not apart from the new heart, not all by myself, once I've got the new heart, Lord, then I can go and teach sinners about you then I can lead people to Christ. That's what he's saying. 
In verse 14, he says, deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. So, Lord, help me be saved, not be guilty anymore. Thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. So not only is he now going to teach transgressors his ways, God's ways, but he's going to praise God. He's going to sing about God. It says in verse 15, O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. He's actually praying that God helps him to, to praise properly. Do we pray that prayer? Do we ever say, God, I want to use my lips for your glory, but I need your help, right? I need you to help me praise you tonight at church. I need you to give me the words to say when I talk to my friends or when I go to work today with my coworkers. Lord, you know that I get really snippy with them because they're terrible. <laughs> but God, help me. Help me to stop acting that way and speaking to that person that way and treating my wife that way or my husband that way or my kids that way or my parents that way. Whatever situation you're in, help me, Lord, to do better in this area of my tongue. Okay, give me the words. That's David's prayer. Verse 16 says, For you desire not sacrifice, or else I would give it. You desire not burnt offerings. Okay, so it's not just about going to church and doing your duty. It's not just about like, Lord, I'm going to do my traditions and then you'll be happy. This tongue thing is really important. He says in verse 17, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart, O God, God, thou wilt not despise. Okay, so you get to that point where you are broken, and that that's understanding that you're a sinner, right? And by yourself, you are helpless, you're hopeless, you're lost. Okay? That you sin all the time, often with your mouth. But that God can give you a clean heart, that He can give you a new spirit, that He can help you to overcome. And it's not about just overcoming those things, but when we when we trust Christ and we start growing in that in that path, we can't stay the same people. It's just not possible. Okay? If, if you, at one point in your life, you said a prayer and you said, Jesus, save me, and then the rest of your life never changed a thing, that prayer didn't save you. I mean, that prayer was just some words that you said, but there was no repentance. There was no faith. There was no truly looking to Christ and trusting him. How do you know? Because Jesus said that if somebody has a good heart, good things have to start coming forth. Right? It, it, I mean, there has to be fruit. If there's no fruit, there's no evidence of any kind of salvation. Okay, James chapter 2 makes that abundantly clear. And so, here is the solution. Solution is, it's not within yourself to fix. But, if you turn to Christ and you receive a new heart, or as believers, we go to our Father and we say, God, I need your help to overcome in this area. I need, I need you to clean me up and, and give me the words and help me to praise you and help me to teach others. If we do that, man, there's hope. We can actually be people who bring glory to God with our lips. I want to uh, conclude with this thought. I think it's amazing how God has revealed himself so plainly with his works. He speaks creation into existence. And then when he reveals himself to mankind, he speaks to them. And he speaks to prophets. He speaks to disciples. He speaks to many other people, 40 plus authors throughout the ages to give us his word. Jesus is called the word made flesh. God's words are so important. And you can't separate God's words from who he is. And you can't really separate our words from who we are either. If we're going to be representatives, ambassadors for Christ here on earth, 
we need to be using words that represent him well, that exalt him, that build others up. Right? 20,000 words on average a day. So how are you using your 20,000? Are you using your 20,000 to build others up, to, to encourage other people, to um, help them? Or are you tearing people down? You get in an argument and just feel like, and I just want that person to feel pain right now. We do that so often. How much better would it be if we used our words to build others up and to ultimately build the kingdom of God?